This is a No Land in Sight podcast production. Welcome to Is That Movie Still Good? The podcast where we take a movie from the past, give it a thorough rewatching, and ask the question, is that movie still good? Today, we're going to take a journey back in time, to a simpler time, to a rural time. We're going to get in our little buggy and we're going to go into town. We're going to buy some goods and services that we can't get on our own little small town farm. We might buy some mule feed. We might buy some new boots. We might even get a little haircut. We're going back to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Amish country for Witness, 1985's film starring Harrison Ford. So, put on your hat, put on your bonnet, let's get in the buggy. Witness on Is That Movie Still Good? Welcome back, friends. Welcome to Is That Movie Still Good? Uh, We hope that you guys are having a great 2020 we hope that you are following the pod. You can follow us on www.isthatmoviestillgood.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Um, you can find us and listen anywhere you get your podcast. So we know we had a little bit of a break. We had planned to drop a different episode a week or two ago. Uh, it didn't work out. We didn't like the way it turned out. So we were going to save some of that uh, audio and, and mash it with something else for a, a uh Special occasion. A special pod later. So if any of you all think that there is no quality control here, rest assured, there's not much. <laughs> there's not much. There's, there's a little. little. There's a little. There is a little quality control. <laughs> a little QC happening. Uh, you know, and it, it was a really good podcast, and I, we just decided, hey, let, we, we saw some opportunities, maybe take it in a different direction, do something that we haven't done before, and tie it to some, like, you know, current events or you know things that are going on you know as we move through the spring so i I think at the end of the day i think you guys will all agree that we made the right decision and if not you probably won't even notice that's exactly right (laughs) well and this one was one where um like you said it was a really good podcast um but we're going to do some compare and contrast with with some stuff that we did here so i think you guys will like it if you are fans of the show and fans of uh what we do now Let's witness. get to the business at hand. Witness. <laughs> witness. Witness. Can I get a witness? So I'm going to just come right out with this one. I know we typically ask, what do you remember about this first? And I, and, but I'm going to throw this out here right away. Okay. And I know we'll come back and talk, talk about him more in detail. But at this point, we'd only seen Harrison Ford. We had seen him a little bit in Apocalypse Now, a little bit in American Graffiti. Mm-hmm. We knew Han Solo. We knew Indiana Jones. We knew his character in Blade Runner. Now we get him, like, playing, like, an everyday guy, like a Philadelphia cop. Like, right. most stereotypical, I mean, how many people played a Philadelphia cop or New York City cop or whatever cop, L.A. cop? We get a completely different Harrison Ford for the first time in this guy's incredible career. Right. This is the first time that he carried a movie as a lead that wasn't a sci-fi or adventure movie. Right. And, and, and like I said, we're, we're going to come back to that, but... To me, that actually is what I remember about this movie the right. most. Right. Because, I mean, we were, this movie came out in 85, mm-hmm. 12 years old, 13 years old, and we knew Han Solo, we knew Indiana Jones, we, you know, and and this was different. This was different, and this was a movie that I didn't see when it came out initially, because in 1985, I'm 13 years old, it probably wasn't, my parents weren't big movie people, so they weren't watching stuff, um, it wasn't something I was going to go see to the movie theater and see. Uh, so it was interesting to me, but it was also like, oh, Han Solo's like doing drama now? Like what? Yeah, and, and it was really smart when you think about it because 
I, you know, I'm sure he was offered all kinds of different roles, but this is still to this day, 35 years later, such a unique movie as far as how well it's regarded, as far as the setting. You know, the plot's the plot. I mean, other plots have been very similar, but the way sure. it's set, the way the story's told, it still holds up as something that's very original. It, it is still very well regarded from the writing side, and we'll get into it later. This film won um, an Oscar for the screenplay. But it, it is a really – it's a story that we've heard before in in certain ways, but the, the storytelling in this film is pretty taut. Yeah. So you said you don't really I, – I, I'm thinking this one falls back into the, the, the ever-popular HBO category. Yeah. Well, I, I think the first time I saw it was in late high school when um, I would be hanging out with friends. And one of the things we did on Friday and Saturday nights is we just rent movies. And so I, we rented this, I'm sure, at one of my friends' houses – uh, with a bunch of people and, and watched it because we would, you know, rent two or three movies on Friday and mm-hmm. Saturday night and do that. So that that's the first time I saw this. Yeah. And yeah, I, I can't remember the first time I saw it, but I could probably tell you that I've seen it less than two or three times. And it's not really one of those that if it is on like on a Saturday afternoon, which it's really not a lot. No, it's not one that I get like sucked right into. Right. Like so many other movies that we've talked about on the podcast before. And so really this was a fresh watching for me. Mm-hmm. Me too. I had not seen this in at least 25 years. So it, I did not remember a ton about it. I remember certain scenes, right? Like everybody remembers the barn raising. Scene. Sure. Of course. Um, but I kind of forgot what it was all about. And I, I and I did remember that, uh, Kelly McGillis shows her her boobs in this, so I remembered that yeah. too. Yeah, well, yeah, that's you when you know you do every you remember pretty much every boob shot from teenage. Of course, years. yes. Yeah. It was 1988. I was 16. I remember every boob shot in every movie. <laughs> I did, I forgot that Danny Glover was in this. I did too. Yeah, I did and, too. And of course, I had no idea Vigo. Yeah, in. it's his first role, right? First, first, first screen role, first yes. screen role yes. ever, and he he got the part because he looked so Amish. Uh huh. <laughs> which he didn't even have a beard. Well, I guess he was single. So, the, right. so what's the story on that? Like what's with the beard and the no beard? How's that work? So let's get into some Amish stuff. Cause I, you know, I, we live in Kentucky and Kentucky has the eighth largest Amish population in North America. Obviously it's not Pennsylvania or Ohio or Indiana, but we have a lot of Amish and I interact in my profession with Amish people fairly regularly because a very large population lives near us. So there's some interesting things, like the beard you talk about. If you're a single man, you don't have a beard. But once you get married, you start growing your beard out, and you have a beard. And But you can't have a mustache, because in the early days of the Amish uh, forming or whatever, this movement, the Amish movement, um, one of the, the tenets is, is they're pacifists, and they, they don't involve themselves in war, and they don't involve themselves in military activities. And at this time, you know, in the 1700s, when this was all coming about, Obviously, all of the military men were wearing these big handlebar mustaches. So the leadership decided, we don't want to affiliate ourselves with the military at all. We think mustaches are kind of like aligning ourselves with the military, so we're just going to shave that off. So you have a beard, but you can't have a mustache, which is, you know, interesting. They've created their own look. They, no, they have totally created their own look. I, I think anybody that's familiar with the Amish, now you might have trouble differentiating them from some of the other very pure Mennonites. Mennonites, Mennonites and Amish are very confused. Very, very, very similar. But, um, I mean, it, it, it is a very confused, or I'm sorry, a very um, known look. And a lot of people, both in the movie and in real life, you know, sometimes will mistake 
like maybe an Orthodox Jew right. or a Mennonite, like you said, with the Amish people. So there's a lot of similarities, but yet I think the whole point is they're pulling themselves away from like what would be mainstream. Right. So, so are they like one of the original like countercultures? Kind of. You know, they're they're predicated on you know shunning fancy things and uh, no showing off, N- nothing that that's going to bring attention to themselves. Very humble. Um, really true Amish will not use buttons because they're too showy. They use a metal hook. <laughs> well, it's so funny because in this movie they talk about talk it, about but that, yeah. everybody's wearing buttons. Yes, everybody in the movie's <laughs> wearing buttons, but really they don't. Yeah. And, you know, they all wear plain clothes. Uh, women wear a bonnet at all times. If you're a single woman, you wear a black bonnet. If you're a married woman, you wear a white bonnet. So, so like, I mean, is this, like, easy, like, pre-Tinder, like, you know who's single and available? <laughs> yeah, Because yeah. if, you know, if it's a black bonnet woman or it's a guy without a beard, it's yeah. like, do you swipe right? Do you like him? I mean, is that, I mean, or, or do you move your horse to the right? What, so how would the Amish do it? It's so easy, right? <laughs> like, you wouldn't know right away. Right, right. Yeah. Except that, I mean, one thing about this movie is... All the Amish people in this look pretty normal and pretty attractive, and in real life, I don't know how many... Listen, I I hope I don't offend our Amish friends who are probably not listening because of all the electricity situation that goes on here, but most Amish people are not that attractive. Most of them are not all that well-groomed. Like taking well, a bath. That's, once that's a week. Hollywood for you. I mean, because you'll watch these like westerns, yeah, especially these days where it's like you know, eighteen seventy cowboys that have been chewing tobacco and eating crap for their whole lives, and they'll have prettier teeth than like you know, somebody that just got their braces off. Well, I thought about that. You know, we've talked about True Grit once before, and when I watched the Coen Brothers True Grit and then rewatched the John Wayne True Grit, it's kind of cartoonish because John Wayne is always in this perfectly clean, uh, pressed, yeah, costume. And the Coen Brothers is like more gritty. Like it looked like um, Jeff Bridges had been riding the trails and, yeah. and living out there. Well, and I think Witness coming out in 1985 was still in that period of Hollywood where they weren't thinking that that deep into the layers of the onion as far as what did the people really look. Like. Nobody was doing that then. That right. realism was not there. It was. Right. It was. That didn't come across probably for another 20 years. Yes, really. For and, sure. and now that's the thing. Of course. I mean, like when when DiCaprio did Reverend, his teeth were awful. Yes. You know, it's. Uh, and so I, you know, I think that's just the way Hollywood was then. It was more on, you know, based on the story. And when we talk later about some of the other films that were made around the same time, I, I think that will ring true. Yeah, of course, of course, yeah. of course. Also, quickly, one more thing about Amish people. Love you, Amish people. Shout out, uh, you know, follow the pod. But I'm always a little bit freaked out by older Amish women because when they bundle up when it's cold, they wear a black, nothing but a black coat thing and a, an overbonnet, like this black overbonnet. So they're dressed totally in, in they black. They look like a Sith Lord? Yes, they're like an Amish Darth Vader, and they're a little creepy to me. <laughs> like Amish, hey, Well, they probably have some force powers, they, too. Yes. You know they can read your mind. <laughs> yes. They can probably squeeze your throat. And, right, you know, just right. In no time at all. Uh, but, yeah, so, and, and you don't see a lot of Amish movies. I mean, can you name some other Amish movies? No, this movie was huge, um, and there were a lot of people who were concerned about this and what it meant to the Amish community in in Pennsylvania, and in fact, I think it was the governor of yeah. Pennsylvania after this mm-hmm. said, you know, we're not doing any more Amish movies in Pennsylvania. Yeah. You guys can figure that out. No location shoots here. Um, well, because in addition to being pacifists, they also do not like to be photographed. They do not, and there are no Amish people in this no, film. There's a lot of Mennonites, mm-hmm. and there were a lot of Amish people that helped with the film behind the scenes, but they would not be on camera right and many of them stood around watching the sets they they watched the filming and were very interested in it but not in front of the camera 
Did they did they know that Han Solo would, was Indiana Jones was here? Did That's they know? I wonder if they knew. That's a great question. You, you, you would think they would have to, but for when they went into town, they would see the poster or something, or they're shopping at the, you know, there had to be like Kmart a matinee they, in Lancaster. Or yeah, something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know their opinions about movies, but yeah. Well, I'm, and and I mean, what is, like do they have entertainment? Like, do they do like plays? Do they do like old like you know? I don't know, I'm thinking like Renaissance, like little carnival type things. Yeah. Do they do anything like that? I, I don't think they do a lot of entertainment stuff because I think that their mantra is all about work and spiritual life. spiritual life. And you have to, you know, follow the rules of, of your local congregation. And then it's you get up in the morning and you do all these chores and then by the end of the day you're really tired. And um, I suspect that there's, you know, some little games and things that are played. I think they do do some of that, but... I don't think that that they they're probably not watching the Kardashians or Real World or anything like that. <laughs> probably not. Probably not. Well, and and and, he, and here's how the movie starts: is you you have it actually starts at a funeral. It does. Um, for for a gentleman, uh, an Amish gentleman, whose wife is played by uh, Kelly McGillis, mm-hmm. and they have a son who's named Samuel. Right. And basically, they have the funeral, and then I guess she has like a sister in Baltimore. That she wants to go visit after the funeral, and somehow you to get in order to get to Baltimore from Lancaster, you have to go through Philadelphia. Right. And so they 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 take the train, you know. And obviously, this is a pretty wild experience for them. Oh, like, for sure. The big city, of course. I mean, this, this is not just going into the little twenty five thousand person town to you know, like I said, to grab mule feed and you know pick up some supplies. Yeah, and and they 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 get there and. Samuel, who's probably, what, you think, nine years old? Something like that, yeah. But, you know, so this is kind of an interesting thing. So so this boy, he's grown up in an Amish community his whole life, probably first time he's been in any city Mm -hmm. outside of Lancaster. Um, And he ends up in, like, this gritty bathroom all by himself. Right. Uh, And so he's in the stall, and you see this guy at the mirror, and I I, I was like, oh, I I think this guy, I recognize this guy that, that was in the mirror. It's like, he looks familiar. Um, and you know why why you look familiar, don't you? Why is that? Because he was in Hunt for Red October. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Timothy Carhart. Okay, so at first I yeah. saw him like when I was watching through the first time. When I, I was like, oh, is that the Vigo character? I'm like, it's not Vigo. It looks a little like him. Who is yeah. that? And then we move on and we find Vigo later. But we find Vigo later. But yeah. So anyway, we just saw this guy in Hunt for Red October a few episodes ago, and all of a sudden he he looks kind of grungy. Yeah. Right. And all of a sudden, um, these other two cops come in, and one of them is Danny Glover. Mm-hmm. And they just pretty much slit his throat. Like in the open, in the bathroom, they just, they they grab him, hold his neck back, slit his throat, let him bleed out right there. And it's it's a great scene, and it's, it's an awesome scene for this movie. And the director, Peter Weir, who we'll get to later, um, talked about wanting to make this scene as graphic as he possibly could. And he was still uncomfortable with it at the end of the day. Yes, and but he wanted it to be graphic because... Samuel's character had lived this life of peace and calm, and now he sees this. And like, what can? How can we show the viewer that this is going to be so jarring? And right. and and that was that was kind of like why he tried to do it in that that way. Yeah. And and Samuel's back in the stall, and he hears it all, and he sees it all through like kind of a crack in the stall. Yeah. Um. And then they start looking around looking for him. He, he makes a noise, mm-hmm. and so they start looking around for him. And Danny Glover's like kicking open all the bathroom stalls, and he gets to the stall that Samuel's in, and Samuel just does this awesome move. Yeah, 
where he <laughs> where he like sneaks under and slides under the, the, to the stall that Danny Glover had just kicked in that had already kind of bounced back closed. Right. And did you catch the Indiana, Indiana Jones? Indiana Jones. He, he lost his hat, but he had yeah. to reach under there and get it. So it was very Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. It was very cool. And 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 they they kind of give up and walk away. They kind of, the, the, the cops, the two cops that killed the guy, it's like, I guess nobody's here and they, they... Yeah, we're good. We're out. We're good. Danny Glover washes his hands and moves on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so... Is this the most bad Danny Glover's been in a movie? Can you think of one where he was this... You know, I'm not, I'm not going to say he was bad in this movie because at the end of the day, this scene and the scene at the end was the only time he was really in right, it. Right, Well, right. in the shooting scene. Yeah. He's in three scenes. Yes. And he doesn't do anything bad. But, I mean... No, I mean just as a bad man. Oh, as a bad man? No, no, he's fine oh, as a oh, yeah. oh, I thought you meant his No, his character. His character is oh. just bad in this. Like, I, it I don't, might be, yeah. I'm not used to seeing um, him as a bad dude. Yeah, I, I mean, what do you think about Danny Glover? I mean, where does he... We talk a lot about leading men versus character actors. Where does Danny Glover kind of fit in on the... He's in that, that next tier. He's not a character actor. He's not a leading man, but he's that next next tier like that we talked really about. Like a really good supporting... Yeah. Like, has he ever carried a movie on his own? Not one that I remember, or at least remember liking. I'm sure he has carried movies, but they haven't been anything that's been elite that I can remember. So in this movie, he plays uh, Lieutenant James McPhee. Mm-hmm. And 1985, when this movie came out, Danny Glover hit the trifecta. He was in this, mm-hmm. which got lots of Oscar nods. Yep. He was also in Silverado, which is actually probably... My favorite that's three a, movies. That I know came it. Out in I know it. That's a really good one. And he was a really he did great in that. And he was also in The Color Purple, uh-huh. which got some Oscar nods. Yeah. Silverado actually got an Oscar nomination too. I wonder. I didn't do. I didn't take the time to research it, but I wonder if anybody's because Silverado got like maybe an editing or sound or something. Uh-huh. Uh huh. They didn't win. It should have won the uh, best original score Oscar too. By the way, it's a brilliant score. The movie or Silverado? Silverado. Oh yeah. Silverado should have won for best score because the, yeah. the score is brilliant. But I mean, has is, I mean. Has somebody been in three movies in the same year that got Oscar nods? Oh, that's a good question. That's an excellent question. In the same question. year. Yeah. I don't know. We might need to put that, get a research team yeah, involved in that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So if anybody wants to be a part of our research team, <laughs> there you go. There's a koozie in it for you. <laughs> There's a koozie in it for you. But I mean, that's pretty, that's a pretty big year. Because yeah. Color Purple is a great movie, too. Yeah, great movie. So, yeah. Um, and of course, you know, he did Lethal Weapon and all that type of stuff. But, yeah, I... Um, you know what I wanted that I found out uh, researching this one that I didn't know, and I I would probably remember because I have seen this movie movie multiple times because it's one of my favorite Clint Eastwood movies. Um, his Danny Glover's film debut was an Escape from Alcatraz. Alcatraz, that's right, that's yeah. right, yeah. And I, I like to go back and kind of see when you know where he pops into that. Movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah, I think you're right. I think this is probably Danny Glover at his um, worst as far as the. <laughs> But, like, yeah, like, they're actors that you are used to seeing as good guys, right? Like, when the first time I saw Denzel Washington as a bad guy when he was in Fallen, it was kind of game-changing for me the way I viewed him as an actor. And a little bit like that with Danny Glover because, yeah. again, this was still earlier in his career, but going back and rewatching it, and he's got this full body of work where he's generally a good guy, but watching him play such a bad guy uh, is, is totally different. Yeah, no, I, t- I, I couldn't agree with you more. So after this scene, we, we moved to the police office. So now we're, we're building kind of the, the plot. That was right. kind of the opening. I wouldn't even call that act one necessarily. That was just kind of the intro. Right. So now we meet Detective John Book. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of an Amish name if you think about it. It is. Well, you know, it, it, it's still kind of like, where did they come up with this name? I know. 
I mean, it's a kind of a great name. It's two four-letter names. Yeah. It's basic. It's, it's John good, but Book. it's you also, know how to pronounce it. Yes, but it also could have been the the screenwriters looking at his four-year-old daughter and saying, "What should we make the policeman's name? John Book. John Book. It is. <laughs> it is. It will live on for infamy. Yeah, yeah. It, um, but hey, you know, I, I, sometimes character names are like that. Yeah, that's right. And, and of course, this is Harrison Ford's character. Right. Yeah, and he's assigned to the case. And so he's working with uh, Samuel to try to ID who murdered the guy in the bathroom. Because we find out, like, I think you might have mentioned it, but it was a cop that got murdered. Right. It was an undercover cop that got murdered. And so, I mean, they're trying everything. They they have lineups. Um, They've kind of winnowed it down to that it's a black man. But other than that, there's not much else going on. They right. bring in some, some they, lineups. He, like, and... at one point, like, Harrison Ford pulls up to, like, a nightclub and pulls a guy out. And is like, is this him? Right. You know, so they have a general description. But they, you know, like I said, they go to a lineup. But they just really can't pinpoint who the actual perp mm-hmm. is. Um, until one day, they're in the police office. Right. And they're in the police office. And... Book, Harrison Ford character, looks over at Samuel, the, the, the young boy, and he's pointing at this picture on the wall, which is a newspaper article about this cop that did something really good, and there it is. It's Danny Glover. It's Danny Glover. And I absolutely love this scene. I love the simplicity of it. I love how John Book knows exactly what he's trying to tell him, but he also understands the stakes, so he's going to protect that kid, lower his hand. And I also kind of love that we – that. There's not a lot of cat and mouse. We just already Boom. know. We know. Immediately. Yes. Right. Exactly. I would totally agree with you because there's so many movies that just want to string you along. This is one of those. This one ran, what, an hour 50? Uh, yeah, hour 50, 55, something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. Today, somebody would have made this a three-hour movie. And, you know, if you listen to the Oscar podcast from a yes. few weeks ago, we were talking about The Irishman. Mm-hmm. I, I finally finished watching all of it. Mm-hmm. And there was an hour of that movie that didn't need to be there. And I would be worried that somebody makes a movie like Witness today. Mm-hmm. They add that extra hour mm-hmm. when this was so much more just on point. It was more dramatic. It was more moving. It's like the kid identified him. Book completely took his defense. But I mean, I don't know. There's just something. Well, there's an elegant simplicity can, about it because right. you, you, there's not a lot of extra stuff. And, and that's one of the things that I talk about. It's economical. It. Yes. I hate wasted scenes. I hate wasted time. And sometimes you can embellish to the point of waste. And there's not really much of that in this film. No, there's not. And I and I think that the original screenplay, I think, came out to about three hours. So obviously, it had to be, yeah. but that's not abnormal right. for, a, for a Hollywood screenplay. But they actually cut it down to something that was manageable to watch and kept the story moving mm-hmm. along. And kept it exciting and interesting without dragging out unnecessary scenes. Right, right. Uh, but, you know, like you said, Book is on to it immediately. Mm-hmm. So, of course, hey, he's a good cop. What's the first thing he's going to do? He's going to go to his superior. We're going to talk about this. This is what's going on. We're going to go to the chief. So he goes to the chief. He tells the chief, you know, everything we just told you all. He thinks that everything's good. But then we get, like, the scene where he is in a parking garage, Book, Harrison Ford, and all of a sudden Danny Glover pops out and starts shooting at him. Right. This is the most ridiculous scene in the movie. Uh, yeah, I, I, I got some question marks floating over this one. Like, it's one thing to anonymously off a guy in a train station bathroom, but in a parking garage at the police station, that's trickier to get out of, I think. Well, and would you send the guy that actually, I mean, would you kill a cop 
in the parking garage of the police right, station. Right, that's what I'm saying. Right. I mean, yeah. wouldn't you, like, take him under the bridge or, like, yeah. sneak him off somewhere or maybe do it with somebody, like, that was a different cop? Yeah, it, it all seemed very hot-headed and, you know, flying off the handle as opposed to being calculated and figuring out, you know, what the next steps were. And as we know, he had been involved in, you know, some seizure of some drug products, a product that was going to be used to make methamphetamine or amphetamines, and then it disappeared before the trial, and he ended up selling it, making $22 million or something like that. So this is a guy who is calculating, and I don't think popping off a few rounds in the police parking garage is particularly calculating. No, I would agree. I would agree. This might be one of those kind of little dips in the story. Yes. A little yes. bit, but it was quick. You Once have again, to do it again. It, it was quick. quick. That's they right. They kept it quick and then moved on to the next There was scene. no dialogue. It, 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 no. It, was, it was a really... Well, no, there was some dialogue. The people that came down the elevator and the lady was more worried oh, about yeah. her car <laughs> yeah, 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 than yeah, like yeah. getting yeah. shot, which yeah. was like, which was silly, but kind of, you know, fun 80s stuff too. Uh, so by, in, in, in Harrison Ford book, he takes a shot. Yes, he gets He takes hit. a very tough shot in the gut, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bleeding... Uh, and but somehow gets away, and uh, and by now he obviously has put one and one together and knows that the chief of police is also involved, mm-hmm. and he's got a and once again go back to the character of John Book and his concern for the kid, right? Especially because I don't know at this point how much concern he has for Rachel for for Kelly McGill's. No, character. I don't think there's anything going on there. I, I think, think he's, right now he's protecting the kid. Yeah, right now he's protecting the kid and he's been putting the kid and his mom Rachel up at his sister's apartment. So they've been staying there. They're they're holed up there. And so he immediately drives to his sister's apartment um bleeding and uh you know, talks to her, talks to them, take they swap out cars, leave his car there and he takes her car and drives them back to Amish country, to their home, so that they'll be out of the city and hopefully protected. Now, Sisters played by Patty Lapone. Do you know Patty at all? Nope. I knew nothing about her, didn't recognize her. Her haircut was awful in this movie. It was, yeah. It was terrible, terrible haircut. She has two Tonys and two Grammys. Wow. I didn't bother looking up what they were because I probably never heard of any of it. Wow. Any of that work. Huh. But yes. Who knew? She, she has two Tonys and two Grammys. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Patty. Get it. And I might not even be pronouncing it right. It could be uh, Patty Lapone. 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 <laughs> I don't know. But phonetically, it's Patty Lapone. Okay. That's... It does have the capital P. So it's so... Lupone. Okay. So, yeah. But yeah, you know, she's, she, she has more words than anybody. Because Harrison Ford... This is the only movie the he only ever... movie he's ever nominated for an Oscar for. So when is he going to get his career achievement Oscar? Are, are they trying to get it now with Call of the Wild? No, I, I don't think there's. Enough? I don't think it's going to be good enough. And I think if they were trying, and he's getting ready to work on Raiders of the Lost Ark five. And yeah, you don't get it for that. I'm not sure that he gets it. Like I think his days of doing these meteor dramatic roles might be over because he went through this stretch here in the late '80s, early '90s, where he did some stuff that was really good. And this one was really good, and like Presumed Innocent is really good, yeah. and um, I mean, like those are probably his two most Oscar-worthy turns. But even then, there's a little bit of a Harrison Ford Han Solo vibe that comes off in everything, and he becomes more. It's a know, smirk. Yeah, it's this. It, 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 you, you, I, it, I just, I just funny from a timing standpoint, serendipity type thing. I just happened to watch. Uh, I catch like the second half of Empire Strikes Back last week. Yeah, yeah. So I the scene where Princess Leia says, I love you, and he improvises. I, I know. I know. I, but he, and he has that smirk, and he has that smirk the whole movie, and it's like, that's why you love Harrison Ford, because of the smirk, but you don't win Oscars with that smirk. No, I mean, like, honestly, 
Th- those two movies I mentioned, plus The Fugitive, you could make a case for him in The Fugitive. Well, I mean, but action movies don't win Best Acting. I mean, he awards. did get he did get nominated for The Fugitive. Yes, he, he got nominated for Mosquito Coast. He got nominated for Sabrina. Well, those were Golden Globe nominations. Right. He he only got the Oscar nomination, but he did get Golden Globe nominations right, for right. those other three. And movies. and as we talked about before, there are more nominations to go around because right. they break it up into. Comedy versus drama. Now, now I don't think a fugitive. I, I listed my three favorite Harrison Ford movies, and you mentioned Fugitive, but you didn't even mention the other two. Air Force One. Yeah, I th- Air Force One. I, I just thought. I mean, it was, it's action movie. Yeah, it's, it's a great it movie. It's really good. I like Air you Force know, One, and, and he's very much playing his Jack Ryan character. Yeah. Um, but then, regarding Henry, is one of my favorites. That is a really good movie. You're yeah. right. You're right. That that was another really good dramatic. Uh, turn i think my three favorites um i would put the fugitive on there um and i would probably go presumed innocent because i love that movie mm-hmm. and i say it right um empire strikes back uh i, I, I would put indiana jones and the last crusade which is my favorite indiana jones movie Above, above that, above and that's totally fair. That's totally fair because he is the lead in that movie. Like that's his movie, and he is and he's got Connery. Yeah, and he, he he's a character in Empire, but I, Empire is just one of my very favorite things ever. So. Yeah, well, no, and I, I would agree. Um, well, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, he's he's Harrison. Right. Well, and, and here's the thing about Empire Strikes Back. I mean, just just quickly, that's where we really that's the best Han Solo movie of any of them. Like no, he's a player in in Star Wars. By the time you get to Return of the Jedi, it's a little bit over, the, a little corny in spots. And Imp- you know that in Empire Strikes Back, there's the only three scenes in the whole Star Wars history yes. where, Han where Han Solo, Solo and, and Darth, Darth Vader, Vader are, are together. Are together. Yes. Th- uh, yes. They're only on screen three times, and it's in that film. The shooting, the carbon dating. Mm-hmm. What's the other one? And uh, The torture one? Yes, the torture. That's the right. Torture scene. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So, I mean, yeah, you, you could... Uh, um, I, I really loved Harrison Ford in Dances with Wolves. Wait, what? No, oh no, oh no. Oh wait, that's the movie Kevin Costner wrote based on Witness. Yeah. <laughs> Where he infiltrates a completely different society yeah, yeah. and falls in love with a girl. girl that's right. Oh, okay. And that, that's, that's, being, that's a harsh that's well, a harsh insult for me because I love well, Kevin while, Costner. While, I love Dances with Wolves. While being hunted by the authorities. While being hunted by the authorities. I, 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 I love Dance of the Wolves, love Kevin God, Costner. that's brilliant. But I, I totally, I was like, oh, same plot. That, yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> same and, plot as Witness. And I love Dances with Wolves, too. I think it's a, a great movie. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, so so he's got this gunshot wood book. Right. John Book's got this gunshot, the name John Book. That's it. Mean, really, the more you think about it, that's a great name. The only thing that would have made John Book character name better is if this story was actually based off a book. A book? Where there's a character named Book in a book. Yeah. I, now, you know... I, About how much people that how much might people, not read these books. This is the, right, right, right. <laughs> is John Book Ian Book's dad? I don't know. Quarterback of Notre Dame? Oh, possibly. <laughs> yeah. Possibly. That's the only other person I'm I've ever heard John Book has some kids he doesn't know about. Right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... So, once again, going back to the safety that he and the concern that he has for the kid, for Samuel. 
Mm-hmm. He he decides to drive drive him back um, to to their Amish village outside Lancaster. Now, did you know that I actually have some Lancaster connections? Is that right? Yeah, my my grandpa on my on my mom's side, so my mom's dad, his family is actually from from Lancaster, PA. Wow. Yeah. They, Interesting. Yeah. They, so got some roots there. I've met a few people from there, and I mean everybody that has any association with it just say it's you know beautiful place. It's not far from Hershey. Right. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. But, but um, uh, I have no Amish relatives, no Amish roots. Oh, they're not Amish relatives. They're just from... They're, oh, they they're just the live city there. folk in Lancaster. Oh, I see, I Hopefully see. Hopefully not the ones that, like, make fun of them or later in the movie. Right, right. <laughs> Hopefully, they, the, the, hopefully they, that... Was. They were selling them cigarettes when they were out on their <laughs> rumspringer. <laughs> they were. They were. 20 cents for a pack of Winstons. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so... Um, John Book drives them back, and he's his, his initial plan is to drop them off. Right. Because he feels safe, and then he's going to go. go back and deal with what he's got to deal with with the police department. Right. But his wound is, like, just really bad to the extent that as he's pulling off in his sister's car, he runs over a birdhouse in the mm-hmm. middle of the field. Yeah. Passes out. He passes bumps out. over. And uh, so Kelly McGillis, Rachel character, uh, Samuel's mom... Talks to her dad, Eli. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Eli is a pretty prominent character throughout this whole story. Right. Um, now, do you know much about like, the guy that played Eli? Who, who played Eli? So, Eli was played by Jan Rubes, mm-hmm. who really his main profession was an opera singer. Oh, wow. Yeah. We have a lot of different characters in this movie, and I don't know, maybe because they were going for different looks, mm-hmm. you know, to, with, uh, with, uh, with the Amish people that... You know, Rubes, and, and everybody would recognize him from the movie, yeah. you know, as, as Eli. Um, you know, he was an opera singer. We have a, a famous uh, person that, like, started as a ballerina. Mm-hmm. The the one guy that tries to, like, get the love interest yes. later. Yes, yes. Um, uh, uh, right? That's, uh, is that Goodenough? I think, yeah, Goodenough. Yeah. Goodenough, yeah. yeah. And he yeah, died Alexander tragically Goodenough. young, too. He did, he did. Uh, yeah, Alexander Goodenough. And you would actually recognize him because he was in Die Hard. Die he was Hard. in Money Pit. You know, he's kind of he played a couple of kind of scummy roles. Yeah, before he ended up dying. Eastern European bad guy kind of a thing a lot. Right. Yeah, because he has that look. But yeah, so it was kind of interesting. He had an opera singer and a ballet dancer in this movie. But anyway, they bring Rachel talks Eli into letting her bring Book back yeah. and, and try to heal him. So mm-hmm. you know, because he just can't. You know, he needs it. He needs some time. Right, and you know, the Amish are good folk, even though they're concerned and protective of their own culture. They are concerned for this man who is, is about to bleed out in their driveway. <laughs> well, and Rachel was also pretty smart and she had like a lot of street sense for somebody that had probably never driven on a paved street mm-hmm. or rode a buggy on a paved street. Cause she was also concerned that if you go, you're going to have to go to a hospital regardless. Yeah. If you go back to a city hospital with this injury, they're going to find you. Yes. You know, cause by then he had kind of told her the story. They kind of all knew what was up. Uh, and so, so really, we kind of transition into Harrison Ford kind of living in this Amish community. Yeah, just settling in. They're going to nurse him back to health, and then he's going to settle into this um, this Amish community. And so they take him back in, and Kelly McGillis, Rachel, helps nurse him back to health, tends his wounds, and he gets healthy, and he gets better. And then we get him sort of assimilating into this Amish culture. But before we get into that, let's talk about this screenplay. Uh, because I know we've got some stuff to talk about with that. Well, and it won the Oscar for Best Screenplay. Best, yes, yes. You know, I mean, that's a, a big deal. Now, it was written by Earl Wallace. You know much about Earl? I do not know much about Earl. Well, he was mostly a TV writer. Mm-hmm. And he wrote primarily for Gunsmoke. Okay. Now, he wrote other stuff, too. But the story for Witness was actually started out as an episode of Gunsmoke. 
Huh. Where they were going to, you know, kind of yeah. the same storyline. Yeah, you know, they yeah, had to yeah. protect somebody. They had to go to an Amish community. And his wife, Pamela, like, I, and I don't know all the details, but like, uh, she kind of was like, hey, you could probably extend this to like actually a feature. Right. And right. so that's what they did. And really, he didn't really write any other movie screenplays that were of note, but he's got a freaking Oscar. For yeah. an extended version of a Gunsmoke episode. And, and once again, just kind of going back to the, the the entirety of the movie from like kind of more of a, like a holistic standpoint. I mean, this was one of only two movies that in 1985, Hallowell's Film and Video Guide, which is a British equivalent of like, you know, like ratings and stuff. Yeah. Four stars are high. So it was only one of only two movies they gave four stars right, to. Right, right. So, I mean, it was like the complete package as far as, you know, screenplay, music, Story, cinematography, like the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it still hold, holds up. And if I recall, maybe like the 80th on like IMDb's. So, so, yeah, time. it's somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, so, um, and, and the score was nominated for best. Yeah. Well, for an it, Oscar? It, was, it was nominated. So here are the Oscars that it was nominated for. It, it, as we mentioned, it won for best screenplay, right. it won for best film editing, but then it also was nominated for best director for Weir, mm-hmm. best actor for Ford. Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, and Best Original Score. Yeah. I mean, getting nominated for eight Oscars is not... It's a big deal. Yeah, that's not a chump change walk in the park. Right. Um, But no, I just found that really interesting that that something that's heralded so highly as a screenplay was essentially written by a guy that wrote, you know, Western TV episodes and just stumbled across the story and was just, you know, I don't know, caught the perfect wind. Yeah. storm and here we are today talking yeah. about it yeah and and you know let's talk about peter weir for a minute because this is a guy who's made some great stuff too oh he has now he is a director fantastic stuff now you know he he was a part of that australian new wave cinema movie yes yes you know because he's australian right and this was the first one he shot outside of australia right correct yes yeah. you're correct on that one um and and if you think about the, the influence of australians in american film it's still going on today mm-hmm. i mean i mean kidman's australian uh, uh, we, well, Jackman, we just, uh, we, yeah, we well, we just celebrated Valentine's Day by watching Braveheart. With, Mel, Gibson, with Mel Gibson, who's yeah. the ultimate, you know, the ultimate Australian. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's it's still if you think of like other countries, especially not your primary European, like you know, England or, or maybe France or something like that. I mean, Australia, especially being on the other side of the globe, has had a huge influence on American film over the last you know, 30, 40 years. And Peter Weir was one of those guys that kind of brought that in. Yeah. And this was, like you said, this was the, his first one shot in America. And his probably, his, he did The Year of Living Dangerously in 1982, mm-hmm. which was I, a pretty I, big film. I actually remember that. I remember Galalpi, is that how you pronounce yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know if I ever saw it, but I remember, remember that for it. some reason. Yeah. But, but then go after Witness, you have the Mos- Mosquito Coast, which mm-hmm. is great. Dead Poets Society, which we don't even need to talk about. It's so good. It's so good. Green card. I remember I so, uh, Barbara Streisand, wasn't it? Gerard Depardieu. <laughs> I, I can't even. It, but but it was critically acclaimed. It was. It was. I never but saw I it. Never saw it. Pass. in Walt. But Fearless, yes. The Truman Show, and Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World. And I loved Master and Commander. I thought that you was. Know, a, that's what I've never seen, and I love Russell Crowe. It's a really good big. Epic sea movie and and good acting, great cinematography. It's a good one. Oh, Truman Show, I think, is brilliant. Yes, it I mean, is. We, we, we've been down to Seaside a few times, and, you know, of course, down there, we're, you know, 
the whole, the whole thing. The yeah, whole thing is still the Truman Show. Yeah, Peter Peter Weir, I think did like, and I and I think he's still alive, but he hasn't worked in a while. Right, you right. Know, he's probably in his eighties or something like that. But I, I mean, good career. Yeah, very good career. Yeah. Um. So this movie um was nominated for uh Harrison Ford was nominated for best actor and uh, that year he lost to uh, William, Hurt William Hurt from The Kiss of the Spider Woman. Did you ever see that one? I did not. And here's the interesting thing about when you look at the 86 Oscars from the 85 films. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this was one of the best pictures. The other ones that were nominated were Kiss of the Spider Woman, uh, Princey's Honor, The Color Purple, which we mentioned, and Out of Africa. Which Out of Africa actually won, and and that, this was one of those years where I, the, the tide was too strong for Out of Africa to not win, and particularly the way that they did the voting back then. This yeah. was a huge movie amongst um, the critics and and amongst you know kind of the film snobs and that kind of thing. Yeah, and I and I did see Percy's Honor because Jack Nicholson was in it, but it's one of those films that I don't really remember anything about. Right, I I, I watch it now; it'd be like watching it for the first time. Um, I I uh, did see the color purple. Um, what I remember about it was it was very good, but not one of those I really want to watch again type movies. Yeah, I thought it was really good. I didn't, it wasn't my favorite by any stretch, but uh, it was a really good movie and a very important movie and right. earned Academy Award nominations for a couple of actresses. Right. And then you were mentioning Best Actor, so William Hurt won for Kiss of the Spider Woman, and but the other nominees are, of course, Ford for Witness, Jack Nicholson for Pritzy's Honor, John Voight for Runaway Train. Yep, good one. And then James Gardner for Murphy's Romance. Yes, I forgot, totally forgotten about that. I, I love like, James Gardner. I do too. Oh, I, I, James Gardner. I, I, I always. What, what was his big cop show? Detective Rockford show? Files. I, I remember I when I was Rockford in high Files. school during the summer when you'd wake up at like ten or eleven and there was like nothing on TV. Uh-huh. I would watch the Rockford Files. I used to watch. And I think the, I've said that on this podcast. Before. I used to watch the Rockford Files when it was still in its its. Yeah, when it was still running, my dad and I would watch the Rockford Files every week, whatever night that was on. I love the Rockford Files. All right, so Files. Here, here's something that's really interesting, and I think it's a, a, a dynamic worth, that's worth mentioning. Is so we just mentioned all these movies that people have heard of. You know, Out of Africa, Color Purple. Right. You know, Kiss of the Spider Woman that were got all the acclaim from the, from the Academy and from all the different awards groups. Here's the highest grossing movies, the top ten highest grossing movies of 1985. Beverly Hills Cop was number one, right? Number two. Oh, two, okay. Back to the Future Back was number one. Back to the Future was one. one. Okay, okay. Beverly Hills Cop was number two, which, on a side note, real quick, Witness was released in February right after Beverly Hills right. Cop, and they regretted releasing it then because nobody had an, any idea Beverly Hills Cop was going to be huge, and it stole all the box office dollars. Right. I mean, Witness... Did you know, not hit, it didn't it, hit it number one made, in the box office until the fifth week it was out. Yeah, and it only made $69 million off a $12 million budget. Yeah. But it still finished in the top ten. And also, quickly, Back to the Future was nominated for a screenplay Oscar, too. That it was. Year. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was. I mean, Back to the Future is a great, great movie. But yeah, Back to the Future, number one, Beverly Hills Cup, number two, Rambo First Blood, part two, was number three. I love that movie. And like, shamelessly. Rocky Four was number four. What a year for Stallone. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he had two of the top five grossing movies in yeah. 1985. Um, then number five was uh, Cocoon. Okay, yeah. Which I remember Cocoon. I would actually like to watch Cocoon again because I liked it then. Well, Don Amici won a best supporting, supporting actor for that. Yeah. And, and they won a uh, visual effects for that film, too. Yeah, yeah, with the in the pool with the things, which, you know, you could probably do that with like a... You know, Ziploc bag and boiling water these days. I don't yeah, know. well, and it's got Wilford Brimley though. That's a 
it hard does. spot for me. It does. Now, Witness was sixth. So, you know, Witness both, I mean, if you think about hitting both sides of the spectrum as far as Academy attention and box office, sixth for the year, the box office is not bad. Mm-hmm. And then getting eight nos- nods for the Oscars, there's it's, a reason this movie's Yeah, absolutely, regard. absolutely. It's, it's going to be very rare when you're going to dominate at the box office and at the Oscars. Like, Titanic doesn't come along all that often. No. And it's not even that great a movie, but that's what happened. You get caught up in a wave. Now, seven was The Goonies. It's good. Classic. It's good. So good. Eight, not so much. Police Academy 2. You shut up. I love that movie. <laughs> well, not as good as Police Academy 1. No, 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 no. <laughs> but it's still good. Oh, wait until you hear 9 and 10. Okay. 9, Fletch. Yep. Great movie. And 10, we got James Bond of You Do a Kill. So, we talk about this all the time. I bring these lists up all the time of the top 10, 20 movies of a year. Again, just you could rewatch every single thing on that list. Oh yeah. Like we could take a weekend, two weekends, let's do the top 10 movies of 1985. Perfect. Mm-hmm. A lot of fun facts there about this movie and, and why we think this movie is, you know, kind of holding up mm-hmm. pretty well. Then next in the movie, we get probably what is the most iconic scene. Right. The barn, barn raising scene. The yes. barn raising. I'm sorry, is it wrong to say barn building? Must you say it's, it barn it's raising? It's barn raising, that's right. It uh, that's must right. be said barn raising. Barn raising. Now, there are a few things on this scene. Number one, they did use cranes. Mm-hmm. You don't see them on camera. Right. Um, if you look really closely, you'll see that they're using nails that would never hold that size of oh, timber together. Uh-huh, <laughs> you uh-huh. know, so there's a few little things here. But what makes this a very interesting scene before we actually get into the scene of it is two things. One, Harrison Ford is being accepted into the Amish community because he has carpentry skills. Right. And anybody that knows anything about Harrison Ford knows he was a carpenter, a carpenter. before he got discovered. Yes. So there's just that kind of irony in yes. it. Yes. You know, that, that's kind of fun. And um, But then number two, in the actual screenplay, this is like a two-minute scene. Mm-hmm. And Weir stretches it out over like 10, 15 minutes, and it's beautiful. I think I think if it were just a two-minute scene, it would have lost its power. But this is a pretty powerful sequence in this movie. Like I said early in the pod, everybody remembers the barn-raising scene. Mm-hmm. They do. That's the scene that everybody remembers. And, and it's so funny because you watch them, and they're working, and they're working, and then they take a break, and you're like, wow, they didn't get much done, but then you realize it's just lunch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they still got a whole afternoon of work still to do. Yeah. Now, they did really build a barn. They did build a they barn. Tore, they, they tore, tore it down. down. They, tore they down did tear it down. It's not there now. So. But, but my question, though, I, I know in the movie they were building this barn for, like, a new couple. But whenever I think about the Amish and you think about barn raising, I, the first question that comes to my mind is, why do they need so many barns? I don't know. It seems like why does everybody need a barn? barn? Yeah, I don't. They don't have a lot of. They, they don't have four wheelers and f- cool equipment. Nobody's putting a boat in there. Yeah, it's like I, it just. It just seems like maybe. Maybe like, for your horses, maybe to. to but that stable was a big barn. Just, no, you don't need a barn. You need a stable for yeah, horses. Yeah, you can build a stable. This is a big. This is like a three story barn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, that's an excellent question. Um, I, I, it makes me want to tour Amish country to really see, like, I mean. Does everybody have their like own unique farm with their own big barns and their own silos and their own wells? Are they closer together? Or are they more communal? Yeah, I think it's more of that, but I, I don't know that for sure. Yeah. Um, also, why did they not have a quilting bee in this uh, film? They should. They should have had a quilting bee. Yeah. Also, more butter churning. More butter. Well, I didn't see any butter. Churning. No butter churning. Did you see any butter churning? None. I didn't see any butter churning. I didn't see any 
chairs being built. No. Now, now what was the thing? Oh, we we did get. I mentioned earlier. I do with, like that Amish friendship bread, though. I wish I could have some of that. <laughs> um, but uh, I mentioned earlier when Harrison Ford, when Book was trying to leave, when he first dropped off uh, Kelly McGillis and, and and her son, he hits the birdhouse. Mm-hmm. We do get kind of this touchback scene several different times during this movie of him rebuilding the birdhouse. Right. Um, which I just thought was, once again, kind of clever. Clever, yes. Clever building in the movie. So now the movie kind of, we have this books accepted by the community. Everybody likes them. And now the movie kind of takes this kind of turn, this kind of David and Bathsheba type thing. Yeah. Where all of a sudden it becomes a romantic story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he uh, is starting to have feelings for Rachel, and Rachel for him, too. There, you know, there's there's a little chemistry. There's a little spark there. Rachel's husband has passed away, and, and now here's this man uh, that she's interested in. And there's also another man that's interested in Rachel, too. Um, we miss McGoodenough. Yeah, miss the Goodenough yeah. character is, is interested, and he's a suitor as well. Yeah. But she's really interested in uh, in Harrison Ford. And so we, then we get this scene... Interesting. Interesting scene where he's just, Harrison Ford's just kind of staring at her bathing. And he kind of stares a little too long, don't you think? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Because she's like stripped down to her, you know, little um, undergarment. And she's topless and she's bathing herself. She's giving herself, a you know, a sponge bath sort of a situation. And he's just sort of standing there staring at her. And, and he gets caught. And he gets caught. And then she turns around and just stands there, you know, Look at me. I'm here if you want me. No shame. I'm, I'm just going to look at me. Like, I am not going to run away in shame. I'm okay with this. And he runs away in shame. Yes, of course. <laughs> he runs away in shame. <laughs> well, Eli is a pretty intimidating figure, he to be is. fair. Eli is a pretty intimidating figure. And he does tell her the next day, he's like, if we, it was very kind of weird. He's like, if we would have made love last night, it would have, oh, I don't even remember. Yeah. I was just like, what are you talking about? Right. <laughs> you know, right, you already right. lost me at that. Um, but, uh, it was just kind of, you know, an interesting scene. And then they had the car scene. So he's the whole time he's had his sister's car parked in one of the barns. Uh-huh. Well, that's why you need so many barns. Oh, yeah. To, yeah. Park, to, to park to hide the cars. It makes sense now. makes sense now. So he's been trying to get his sister's car to start working again. He finally gets the battery going, and he, and he picks up a radio station. And, and this now for this scene, we're told, Harrison Ford, you pick the song. Mm-hmm. Because it has to be a thing. And here's another interesting thing. This scene was filmed during the daytime. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they had blacked out the whole barn, mm-hmm. and they had, like, a kerosene heater or kerosene lamp in there, and that's why they're all super sweaty, because it was actually daytime. So it, was, it had to be hot as yeah. whatever in that in that barn. But so this is the romantic scene where, like, there's actually a song, which she's probably never heard before, because they don't listen to the radio no. on the Amish farm. And books dancing with her and you mm-hmm. kind of see that and like you said Eli pops in and you know scares the crap out of him yeah yeah it was, it was but we've established that there is definitely like a you know Chuck will your love connection going mm-hmm. on here yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah. uh, and then you know I mean we haven't talked about Kelly McGillis yet right most famous for Top Gun, for sure. Absolutely in Top Gun yes yeah and she was in The Accused as well yes and didn't she like Kind of semi-retire from. She Hollywood did semi-retire like from that. Hollywood. Yeah, she she ultimately. But, but but if you look at her filmography, she's been doing movies every year she, or two. Yeah, yeah, she still does stuff. But I that's I, like me semi-retiring from podcasting. <laughs> you might not be listening. You might not have heard my most recent podcast. You guys might not even know what's happening. <laughs> but, but I'm it's still happening. Doing them, yeah. But I'm semi-retired from podcasting. Right. Right. Yeah. 
Um, no, no, that's right. I, I think she um, has had some, some things to say about the Hollywood culture and some problems that she has with it, and I'll just leave that for everybody to kind of Google and look up on their own without getting deep into it. No. Um, and she's, you know, stepped away. Uh, and I guess maybe that semi-retirement means she just picks the projects that she's really, really interested in. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, good for her. Good yeah, for her. no. I mean... Now, now, Samuel, the boy, her son, Lucas Haas, mm-hmm. is his real name... He actually, you have probably seen him in a few things. I mean, he was in Mars Attack, Zoolander, Inception. Mm-hmm. He was in Lincoln, yeah, the yeah, Remnant. yeah. He's been around small roles, you mm-hmm. know, definitely. But and and you wouldn't recognize him from Witness. But if you saw him, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's who that guy is. Oh well, we were watching the movie. I pulled his picture up, like his modern day picture, and it's like, oh, it looks just like he did. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't. I, he's like me. I don't think he could grow a beard as a middle aged man. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, he still looks like a little boy. So before we move on to the the kind of rest of the plot, Act 3, mm-hmm. there were some other really interesting things in this movie that just kind of jumped out. So I don't know if you remember, but in like the the one of the opening scenes when they first go to Lancaster, the, the city, the, the town. The town, yes. When they go to town, there's a Dairy Queen. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the Dairy Queen? Yes. Do you remember what you did you remember what was on the sign? Salad bar. Salad, salad bar. bar. We were watching that last <laughs> night, and my wife said to me, have you ever been to a Dairy Queen with a salad bar? And I'm like, I have actually seen one of those. Yes, I have. <laughs> well, you are from small town Kentucky. That's true. <laughs> yeah. No, I, all of us, were because there were three of us watching this last night, and we were all like, wait, Dairy Queen had a salad bar? Yeah. <laughs> as long as they still had ice cream, I guess that's okay. But, yeah, we thought that was uh, pretty interesting. And you know, and we and we've actually mentioned a few of these names already, but and we and this happens with every movie we talk about. But all the other people that either turned down the role, sure. or thought about it, you know, Stallone, Mel Gibson, which of course was he involved. had a busy year. Yeah, yeah, Mel Gibson, Clint Eastwood, uh-huh. Richard Gere, Kevin Costner, Jack Nicholson, even. Mm-hmm. I think Costner was the big one. I think I think uh, Costner was the one that was like the the number one guy that See, they I wanted. Don't... But yeah, I, and, and I, mean, I think Mel Gibson was one of the others. Because Costner's Silverado was his first big. Yeah, role. it was. So he Costner wasn't big yet. I know. I know. But I read something that that, that he was really one of the ones that that we were wanted for whatever reason. Huh. Well, I mean, I mean, obviously he's a good actor. I mean, some of these other ones. I mean, I think Clint Eastwood could have pulled it off. Mm-hmm. Because I think we saw that. I think we've seen the story in Pale Rider, a little bit. Yeah, a different different twist. Right, right, different right, twist, right. Because you know it's not necessarily a village. He's going more into kind of like the, you know, whorehouse society. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think he could have pulled it off. Not sure Nicholson could have pulled it off. Richard Gere would have been boring. Um, Stallone would have just been funny. <laughs> I mean, come on, can you see Stallone in this movie? No, he did much better doing Rambo two yes. in Rocky four. Stay in your lane, brother. <laughs> keep doing them yeah doing them. And, and and mel gibson would have been fine but i think ultimately yeah. like we always talk about it they probably landed on the exact right person to make this movie right and i think that's you know and that's what makes a movie like have longevity for 30 years versus one that de- doesn't because mm-hmm. somebody takes you know the the, the wrong role it just doesn't fit that's exactly right that's right it doesn't right. fit so all right so our next scene is the amish are actually back in town mm-hmm and Harrison Ford's with them, books with them, and they start getting picked on. And it's kind of the scene I, I referenced earlier when talking about Lancaster. Um, but then, well, of course, Harrison Ford beats him up because he's Indiana Jones, right? Well, so <laughs> so here's what here's the here's the thing about this scene that didn't ring totally true to me. Like the Amish have to go into the small town Lancaster all the time, 
people have to see them all the time. They got to know them. Like, they're regular people. Like, it, it's just part of the culture. Like, it seems like it's, like, it would seem You would have seen them before. Right. It would be more normal if they were getting picked on when they went to Philadelphia. Right. Right? Yeah. But, so, but anyway, you know, it's, it's a good dramatic element to throw in here to, to kind of show the pacifism of their culture and then to see this guy who's dressed as one of them and it's like, Stand back, boys. I'm going to take care of this. Would it have been cool if he would have got out a bullwhip? Yes, it would have been much better. He <laughs> just snapped him at their ankles a few times. Or a blaster. Or a take blaster. that Greedo. Bullwhip and a blaster. Yeah. Oh, you know, you can mix it to where he pulls out the he pulls out the bullwhip and somebody pulls a sword on him and then he pulls he his blaster, blaster out of him instead. <laughs> that would have been great. Yeah. That would have been great. Somebody needs to make like a YouTube mashup of that. That would be cool. That would be really cool. But the negative kind of consequence here is that it does the local police get involved and next thing you know it's on the wire Mm -hmm. and the cops in Philadelphia find out Book is is hiding out yes hiding out in Lancaster so now we get act three right uh, and Act 3, we have the chief of police. And I didn't write down who played him. I mean, I recognized him. Yeah, it was... Total character actor mm-hmm. guy. Um, we'll just call the other guy cop number one. Cop <laughs> number one, the chief, <laughs> and McPhee. And they're and, all and coming back. And Glover. And yeah, you have McPhee and, yeah, and cop number one. And they they pull up on the Amish farm and it's like... They all pop out of their car with, like, shotguns. Mm-hmm. Like, they're getting ready to take on the Viet Cong or something. <laughs> it's just, like, it's a little overdramatic on this scene. Yeah. It, it, it's an Amish farm. It's not the Koresh compound. <laughs> right? Where's, where's Janet Reno? Right. <laughs> so, yeah, they hop out of here, like, the guns blazing. They're ready to go get after it. And then... Um, you know, Harrison Ford's knows what's going on, and so he's kind of like trying to evade and, and pay attention to what's what's happening. Uh, yeah, and um, then we get one of my favorite scenes in this movie. Is it the silo? Scene? The silo scene. So this was so funny, and, and I'm not going to say her name, um, but you know who I'm talking about. That we were watching this movie with last night when that happened. She was like. That was so corny. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it was kind of funny. It was kind of a laugh out loud moment. It was funny. It was funny. So tell the scene. Tell it. Cause it's kind of actually a good scene. And there's actually a lot that goes into the scene. Yeah. So we get, uh, this is cop number one, right? Cop number the one. Cop number one <laughs> cop number that we one get. The, and yeah. there's, uh, some sound in the silo and, and he gets kind of tricked into the, going into the silo. And then we just get the grain dump on him. Right. And, the and, um, well, what's real interesting about the scene that I, I don't want people to miss is um, Book, Harrison Ford, had climbed up the ladder right. in the silo, and he was looking down, he could see the guy. Mm-hmm. And he thought for sure the guy, could, cop number one, could see him. But cop number one, they showed the camera angle view, it was this great cinematography, and Book was in the shadows. So he couldn't really see that he was up there. Yeah. And then, so Book then does what you're getting does, ready to Yeah, explain. right. And so he wipes him out, like death by corn, and it's... It's kind of a horrible way to go as you're watching this, and it's it's. He's uh, drowned by corn. Drowned by corn and and dust and. Um, now you know in the filming they really do that to the guy, the actor. Oh yeah. They hid a scuba suit. Oh wow! They, not a suit, not a scuba suit, but they hid a scuba mask, tank yeah. and a mask down there that you couldn't obviously see on film, so the guy could grab the mask and be able to breathe the oxygen until they could dig him out. Uh-huh. But that was a legit 1985 stunt. That's amazing. <laughs> legit that's 1985 amazing. stunt. Yes. Yeah, that's for amazing. Real. Yeah. Got, that guy would have drowned in corn if they didn't put the scuba gear down there for him. Well, and fortunately for John Book, he is able to um, get the, the shotgun from 
cop number one. He digs it out. Digs I mean, out the cop with the dig, shotgun. Digs the shotty out. Yep. So, digs the shotty out. So then he is armed now. Now we got mm-hmm. more of an even playing field. Now yep. it's two on one. Uh, and the next face-off... Because we, we completely skipped over, like, earlier in the movie, how Rachel, like, took his revolver away because Samuel found it. Yes, yes. And then we're just going to keep moving, but there's that... So he's been unarmed, unarmed. this whole time, because... Yeah, anyway, yeah, go because, back to Yeah, shot. Samuel finds the gun, and then yeah. they take the bullets out. She takes yeah. it away, all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. so the next sequence is uh, his old nemesis, McPhee, Danny Glover, is mm-hmm. coming at him. Yep. And uh, John Book wastes him. Basically. Just, just tears him in just, half. Just, just, just waste tears him. him in <laughs> half. The shotgun just splashes, destroys him. Off. And then we get this like kind of like an old spaghetti Italian Western standoff, uh-huh. uh, where Book has the chief of police. The chief of police has Rachel, Rachel gun to the head type thing. Now here's what. Okay, so we let's take a step back on this. So here's this, uh, exactly what happens is while Book is killing the guy with corn, uh-huh. and I'll probably never say that again in my life. <laughs> But while Book is killing cop number one with the corn, inside Eli and Rachel's house, the chief of police is taking Eli, Rachel, and kidnapped. Can, mm-hmm. can, right. Taking yeah, he's got him. He's got him. And, and so, and he knows, like, you know, stuff's falling apart because he's hearing the gunshot go off now that Book has shot Danny Glover, shot McPhee. And Samuel kind of sneaks in around the room where Eli can see Samuel but the chief of police cannot see Samuel and Eli gives him this like motion of like tug the bell, mm-hmm. tug the bell. Mm-hmm. And so Samuel runs out as the chief of police take Eli and Rachel out another door. And so back to what I was saying a moment ago, where the chief of police has Rachel revolver to the head. Now cook or book is out. Harrison Ford's out with the shoddy pointing at them and little Samuel has rung, has rung the bell, and you just see an army of Amish dudes just swarm over the, the hill. Farm. Yeah, swarm here we come. The farm. Here yes. we come. Which I'll go ahead and say it now. I actually had the same thought during the movie, and then researching it, reading like some you know different people's reviews of why this movie is so good. They all kind of said the same thing because it kind of had a cross reference to who the witness was. Was the witness Samuel witnessing the murder in the bathroom at the beginning of the movie, or is the community the witness? Because once all the Amish community came, they were witnessing the chief of police with a gun to the head of one of theirs, and even the chief of police knew at that point... It's over. It's over. Yeah, and and in fact, I think Book says it's over, and he stands down, and and that's it. Yeah. Which... Fair enough, good enough ending. Um, I, I wonder about that. Like, I wonder if you know if the chief of police at that point, like, there he wouldn't be able to shoot him way out of shoot his way out of that. No, he got pitchforked to death by the Amish. Dudes. He, he would have, but what's they on the buried other? Buried him underneath the next barn they raised. But I think what's on the other side because you're all in on this, and like, if you just give up at this point, like you're done. You're just going to rot the rest of your life in prison. What choice do you have? Yeah, I know. Either what you, I mean, it's like, I've never never been a criminal. So, or well, let me rephrase that. I've never been a a serious enough criminal to where I've been faced with the choice of, would you rather spend the rest of your life in jail or would you rather just be dead? Yeah. And, and I know that that does happen to criminals and the mindset I think is very complex to where some people are going to say, you know what? 
I'm going to go out in the blaze of glory. I think I'm looking at it through a modern lens, and we see a lot of that in modern times with hostage situations and standoffs and things like that. So I guess viewing it through the 2020 lens, it seems like I'm not sure that's how that would have gone down through the 1985. Do you think he would have shot himself out of it now? Oh, I think he may have tried to. Well, if to. the movie was me now, he would be, like, wrapped in, like, TNT dynamite that would have blown up, like, the whole state of Pennsylvania. Yeah. You know, that's how the movie would be made now, you know. Right. I mean, like, I can conceive have to, like, of... shoot him in the head and, like, you know... But but I can conceive of, like, a desperation situation where they're like, okay, you know, it's all, all these Amish are around. And maybe he just takes the gun from Rachel's head and aims it at Book and just fires off a couple of shots trying to kill him. Maybe he goes out, maybe he doesn't. And... But if he kills Book, he's still going to jail. He's not now going because what he's done at this point. Yeah. At this point, he hasn't murdered anybody per se. Mm-hmm. So right now he's looking That's at true. twenty. That's true. He hasn't murdered anybody. He, he, he's, he's, he's dirty, at, but he he's hasn't dirty, murdered. Anybody. But he has not murdered. Anybody. He's looking at twenty. Yeah. That's and at true. his age, he might he might see the sun again. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But he hasn't murdered anybody. So um, you know, I you know, and and. What got them there in the first place was like a lot of extortion, you know, right, money laundering, right, stuff like right. that. But they weren't terribly violent. The violent criminal was McPhee and McPhee. Dave Yeah, and he's gone. He's out. He's gone. He's out. You know, he was the killer in this whole story. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's just a lot of crime yeah. drama for, yeah. for, for an <laughs> well, Amish movie. Sorry, we didn't mean to go down that road. <laughs> yeah. Or anyway. you, could, you could just watch like uh, like any like drama on American television any night of the week and kind of see that same story. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because so, it, was, it was based off Gunsmoke. Yeah. <laughs> It was happening back then. Same too. as it ever was. <laughs> yeah. um, so anyway, and and then that's that's you know yeah, yeah. basically it, right? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have all the other cops show up and kind of cleaning the scene up, and then you have this very interesting scene that you wouldn't catch just by watching the movie alone. But it's kind of a quiet scene between uh, Harrison Ford character and Kelly McGillis character, where they just kind of stare at each other, and he's leaving. So you kind of that that whole love story at the end is is not going to last, right? You know that? Right. Right, because he's not going to stay Amish and she's not going to leave her community. It's um, one of those moments, like, it, it's a great moment. Like, you very rarely in life know when anything is the last time you're going to do it or see it or whatever. But they both kind of know we're never going to see each other again. And it, th- there's some poignancy, I think, in that shot. No, I would agree. And, and there was actually, we're, the director, there was actually a 10-minute dialogue scene at the end between the two of them. right. That he decided to cut. cut, and the studio was not happy about it. Um, because the studio wanted to see that drawn-out conclusion. And we were like, no, I think we can get this through nonverbal communication. I think that's right. I think it and was think done perfectly. It. Yes. yes. Yes, there was no need for any discussion. Like, I mean, because at the end of the day, the, the, these are good characters, but we don't have a lot of depth to the characters from verbal communication. All of our depth of their characters really... Is there are their actions, their looks, um, their community, all of those things give them the depth. It's not really their dialogue. And well, so there's no need to throw it in now. Right. And one thing we didn't talk about, like earlier in the movie when Book is being accepted by the Amish community, uh, Rachel begins to dress him in Amish clothes. Right. Um, just so he doesn't stand out. But in this last scene of the movie, he's back in his Philadelphia detective suit. Mm-hmm. And we see that separation, and I think that's more powerful than probably some people might notice. Yes. You know, that it's like he would just got, and I think that's what makes this movie great, is you just emerge this cop in this culture, and he does get caught up with, and like, but at the end of the day, it ends the right way. And, and as Book, he gets his sister's car to start 
dry, working again. Yeah. And he drives by the birdhouse that he rebuilt, mm-hmm. that he knocked over earlier. But before he does that, before he gets in the car and leaves, Eli kind of has the last word, and he tells Book to be careful out there amongst the English. Amongst the English, yes. And then he goes and turns butter, but <laughs> they don't film that part. Right. They don't film that part. You don't see that on screen. But well, and, I, and that whole be careful amongst the English, right? Did, isn't that what uh, uh, Samuel was told when he went to Philadelphia, when they were going to the... Well, yeah, because the Amish are Dutch, right? They're well, Dutch-Germans. Yeah, Dutch-Germans, yeah. and they and they refer to anybody non-Amish as the English. Right, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it, it there's, there's, there's such great closure. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the story. Um, it... it and I think that's why it stands up so well is because it does just kind of take something that a lot of people, especially in 1985, I know since then, I what was it, like maybe six, seven years ago on one of the like channels that shows yeah, reality Yeah, TV. Breaking Amish. Right. But I mean, in 1985, I mean, I had seen Amish people in their buggies and cars and I mean, everybody knew who they were. And But this was like the deepest most of us had seen their culture. Mm-hmm. And we kind of learned that, you know, it's just different. It's not good, bad, just different. Yeah, definitely. And we see this in Book's character that he's actually able to immerse himself in it. He's able to enjoy it. They're able to enjoy him. But at some point, he does have to remove himself from that culture, even at the sake of leaving a potential love, because it is a different culture. Right. It's, it's a very good study of, like, kind of, like, sociology and... You know, those types of things. Right. And and I think they both gain a great appreciation for one another. Both book for the Amish culture and their people and the Amish for this one Englishman. Uh, there's, a, there's a real mutual appreciation and affinity that grows between uh, the two sides on this. Yeah, I mean, the only group of people that really this movie looks down on are Philadelphia cops. Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, if anybody did Philadelphia comes, that was a joke. <laughs> I'm sure you guys are doing a great job. No, right. But I mean, like, this is a movie that doesn't make fun of Amish people. It doesn't put them down. No, no it, it's, it doesn't it's patronize a, them or anything. No, it, it almost glorifies it to an extent, you know, no, romanticizes I, it. No, I, I, I think overall, and that, well, that's the thing that is good about the movie. It's not, it's not really, it, it's, it's a really an individual story and, at the end of the day, you don't know, and we've done several movies like this, and I love that as we get towards the end of a podcast, that we're still kind of perplexed and still questioning and still asking, who is this movie about? Mm-hmm. Is this movie about Samuel, this boy that witnessed this brutal murder, and he's the witness and he mm-hmm. has to be protected? Is this movie about Harrison Ford, who's a, a good cop, caught up in a bad cop situation? Is it about McGillis, who's a widow? Right. You know, Rachel's a widow. Is it about Eli? Is it about the suitors? Is it about Corn Man? <laughs> right. It's like, who is this? <laughs> and, and that really is what, may, may, to me anyway, uh, you know, I don't like a super strong protagonist or antagonist. I like a story where you got little just good and bad in everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Because that is more real. And that's right. the thing that I love in film. I love it when film can give me something real. And even at the end of this, like, we got an ending, but we didn't get... It's tidy enough. It leaves Book you- and and Rachel going apart, and it, it ends with those two worlds going back to their normal life without one another, which is kind of what life is, right? Like that happens all the time. It leaves you asking questions still, but not needing all the answers. Right. Right. You know, I'm I'm okay with like. 
hey, I don't, I can imagine my imagination, my creativity can still kind of think about what might have happened next. Mm-hmm. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't need to know the end of the story. The story was told well enough to where I can imagine a couple different roads it went down. And that's, you know, the freedom of my, you know, my ability to enjoy the story and be, you know, do what I want to do with that story because now it's mine. Yep. Yep. I, I totally agree. Totally agree. So, so we've got it wrapped up now. So when would you watch yeah. this again? I would actually probably watch this again pretty recently. I would too. I, I'd watch re- it again I soon. Recently. I'd, I'd soon. watch it again soon. Is I what would I mean. too. Yeah, because, I mean, once again, as I tell you all all the time, all our faithful listeners, you know, I'm I'm totally multitasking when I'm watching these movies, doing research and stuff like that. And this is one I would like, I would, you know, the next time I got like two hours and I'm not super busy, I would just love to sit down and just watch it. Yeah. It, it's a beauty. It's, it's really beautiful to watch. It's well acted, well directed, not much waste in it. Um, I would watch that again pretty much any time. Um, you know, at this point, it's not one I want to watch over and over and over again, probably, but I'd, I'd watch it again soon. So I'm going to ask one more question before we kind of move through our, our, our standard closing, which by now, either you like our standard closing or you've already, or like, you've already clicked out, or so. you already clicked out and, you know, you know, getting a cocktail, whatever you guys do after you're done listening to us. And by the way, you can have a cocktail while you listen. You don't have you to can. check out the, oh, you that. know what? They might already be fast forwarding to the next show. Oh, maybe so. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But, okay. but no, you should listen to the closing because I think the closing, it kind of bookends it. Yeah, it's everything. definitely. Yeah. But Harrison Ford is one of my favorite actors. Me too. Where does Harrison Ford stand up? Not even, I mean, our gener- let's start with our generation. Okay. So, okay. And I don't think we can count anybody under the age of 55 yet. Okay. We're both in our mid to late 40s. Right. Right. So, I, so Pitt's out. DiCaprio's out. Right. You know, they're still young in Hollywood. Right. I can only who who that's beyond like say retirement age. Mm-hmm. Who are who, who? And obviously Harrison Ford is one of the icons. Who mm-hmm. are the others? Um, Tom Hanks. He's over fifty-five. Well, if he's old enough, he's definitely in. Yeah, yeah. But I I I, I would argue a different thing with Tom Hanks. But I obviously Tom Hanks isn't. Yeah, yeah. But Tom Hanks isn't it. the like. The yeah. tough guy, adventure guy. Right, 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 right. But yeah, but uh, that's fine. I got no problem with Tom Hanks being in there. Okay. All right, what um, you got? So, are we talking about better or who are we putting in the conversation? <clears throat> well, okay, I'll just go right to the point. Yeah. How does he compare to Clint Eastwood? How does Harrison Ford compare to Clint Eastwood? So, because I think Clint Eastwood, he's not my generation. He's no. our parents' generation. Right. He's he's like a Jimmy Stewart. And I, I don't know much about Jimmy Stewart. I've seen enough movies to know, yeah, he was really good. I, Humphrey Bogart, I once again, I've seen Casablanca. I've seen a couple movies here and there. But there's these iconic people that, like, well after their death are still John Wayne, yeah. obviously. Does Harrison Ford fall? I, I think Clint Eastwood will fall into that John Wayne, Humphrey Bogart I, well, no, category. Unquestionably. And, his, and I think Harrison Ford will, too. I agree. John uh, and I don't know how many other people. I don't know if Tom Hanks will. Yeah, he will. Okay. I think. I, I um, and not that I love Tom Hanks. Um, but so Clint Eastwood's um, breadth of work is so amazing, from westerns to dramatic acting to directing to composing. Like he is an all-world talent, uh, and and he's still getting it done. Like he directed Richard Jewell this year, which was a great movie. Um, so. But but as far as on the screen, 
Like, he'll be iconic forever. Clint Eastwood is always going to be Dirty Harry, right? Like, John Wayne was always the cowboy. And Humphrey Bogart is always going to say, play it again, Sam. And Han Solo is always going to say, I know, after Princess Leia yeah. says, I well, love you. I think he's going to be more iconic for Indiana Jones than he will be for sure, Han Solo. Sure, of course. Probably so. Um, but no, un- unquestionably, just a or, total icon. Yeah. Of, and... So, There's uh, so many iconic movies. I just started going thinking about Fugitive. And like, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I, I think you could argue of, a, of an actor that's of a similar age. Like, I think Stallone is a guy who will be iconic even after he's dead. Like, he's had so many iconic film moments. Stallone, it's not as deep as Harrison Ford. Yeah, Harris. I think that's the difference. Stallone will be as iconic. Well, not as iconic. Stallone will be iconic. But Stallone also has built himself off of, like, a couple, three or four franchises. Mm-hmm. Where really Harrison Ford, even though he's getting ready to do another Indiana Jones movie, he, so he's keeping these fran- and he just did the Star Wars movie a couple of years ago again. That's not his whole body of work. I mean, what name five really good Stallone movies outside of like you know the dependent yeah, the, the the Rambo and Rockies and, and yeah. the, what's the more recent one that he did when they were all oh the, yeah the Expendables the Expendables, or, Expendables yeah, yes. I said yeah. almost said Dependables but Expendables which yeah. those are all great love them but outside of all that. And to be fair, Harrison Bones has made it, Harrison Ford has made his bones, you know, doing that. Star Wars, Jack Indiana Ryan. Jones, Jack Ryan. He like, only did two Jack Ryans, didn't he? Or did he do three? I thought he did three, but maybe yeah. it was only two. Um, but anyway, like, yeah. he, there's yeah. definitely a lane that he's in, right. generally. Right. But there was a lane that Clint Eastwood was in, and there was a yeah. lane that Humphrey Bogart was in as the tough guy in the 40s, right? Right. So, you know. So who, I mean, so any thoughts? Is there anybody else? Because, see, Tom Hanks isn't in that lane like that. Right. Right. Um, And he's more like, well, like. Well, let me ask you this. And I don't, and I'm not saying that this is going to happen. But people have magnets. You can go somewhere and buy a John Wayne magnet. mm -hmm. Or a John Wayne on a t-shirt magnet. Sure, of course. Right. You can buy a Humphrey t-shirt quote. Things like that. You can actually get the Clint Eastwood make my day type right, stuff. Right, right. Do you think Harrison Ford, like, as he gets older and especially as, as he after he dies, will he be that iconic, like, to where you become a character, you become yes. a Marilyn Monroe, you become an Elvis Presley? I think that's entirely possible. And I, that's, think I guess that's where I'm going with this, this line of question. So I, so I do, I think, yes, I can totally see the, the Indiana Jones on a t-shirt or... You know Han Solo, you know on a magnet, but I also feel the same way about Stallone in that regards. Like you can, I can totally see Rambo yeah. with the headband and the hair down, or you know a Rocky. Rocky's so iconic, right? You're probably can, right about that. I can totally see that. And like as another actor that's in that same older generation, uh, you know, we've talked about um, Jack Nicholson, but there's, there's, I mean. Probably the only one of those that you can go with is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest or Shining, uh, Shining right? Like, those are the two, like, where you could, like, see an iconic uh, image to put on a T-shirt or on a, a thing. But he's got this massive compendium I, of work. I, I, yeah, no, I, I actually, I think Nicholson probably would be, like, the one of the other people I'd probably put in that conversation. Yeah. You know, because, I mean, I would love to see him do something else. He hasn't done anything since The Departed. Right. Which was brilliant, and if that's the way he goes out... Good for him. But yeah, I, I think that Harrison Ford kind of falls into that like top three or four easily 
of just iconic actors that we've of his generation that of our generation yeah, that our we've generation. lived with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. And, and and I'm sure that there'll be the other there'll be ones that are closer to our age. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. I, I I I'm a big fan. I'm not going to say there's not movies that I didn't not like. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, but I think overall. You know, I, I, I think he kind of stands the test of time. No, undoubtedly. there's. I'm sure there are people who don't like Harrison Ford. But most everybody who likes movies likes Harrison Ford. They like something about it. Like, you can be entertained by the stuff he does. His best stuff is really good. And his entertaining stuff is really entertaining. Are you going to see Call of the Wild? I would love to see that. It I looks, love it. Have you read the book? Yeah, it's a great book. I love Jack London books. And the trailers for it look fantastic. It looks like a beautiful movie. Like, I don't know if it's going to be cheesy or whatever, but um, the cinematography in it from, from the trailers looks great. I'd love to see it. All right, well, we'll buy anybody that wants to come watch that movie with us a kernel of popcorn. Yep. <laughs> no, I'll buy you maybe a whole box. Well, depends on how many people show up. At least, at least you know, we'll share the well, bag. I don't want to, we don't have a big budget. No, that's true. That's <laughs> we true. don't have a really big budget. That's right, that's right. Um, maybe a Twizzler. Yeah, right. right. One Twizzler for everyone. <laughs> one Twizzler for everybody. Watch yeah. the yeah. movie with us. All right, so, Witness, overall. Overall. So, the only... My only nit on this, and it's it's just, it, it has nothing to do with the movie, and I don't know how these things happen, how they age differently. This movie looked old to me when I watched it, and I was thinking, you know, we just did Amadeus last year, which is a year older than Witness, and Amadeus did not look as old to me on the screen as Witness did. Now, all that said, it's still an A. See, all that said, it's still an A. Funny that you mention that, because uh, I watched it through a different platform than you did. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I was in 1080. Yeah, I actually had the exact opposite. I okay. was like, I was like, holy crap, this movie looks good compared to what I was expecting it to look like. Interesting, as a 1985 movie. Yeah, it, it looked like a, you know, I mean, and and I think that because I mean, let's be honest, this is a period piece. Yeah, for sure. Right, and and you had very little cop scenes, city scenes, and we talk about this all the time with the older cars and stuff like that. I mean, most of it was Amish land, and I'm sitting there going. Amish land probably looks the same. It's, <laughs> I mean, yes. it probably looks exactly the same right now. Western Pennsylvania, probably similar today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, it's Eastern, but I think... Oh, is it? I'm oh, sorry. I think yeah, Lancaster's Eastern, 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 but whatever. Regardless, regardless, I think it still looks pretty much the same. Apologies, friends you, in Pennsylvania. Yeah, Western Pennsylvania is more like the Iron Belt. Yeah, like okay. Pittsburgh yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And all that. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. If we went to go watch an Amish barn raising tomorrow... It would not look all that different from the one that we just saw in a movie that's thirty five years old. Right, right. And I get picture clarity because I was watching. Yeah, TV. that was my thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I, I, you know, like I said, probably different platforms. So I, I you know, I'm not going to argue that. But I'm with you. I went back and forth because the first thing my struggle was A or B, and real quickly it's like, oh, this is an A movie, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Then A minus to A, yeah, it's an A. A plus. No. 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 It's a solid A. And this is exactly the kind of movie that I was thinking about when I thought about this podcast and started talking to you about wanting to like work through what we do with this. Was And if you remember, the first movie we did was Cape Fear, which is kind of a similar type of a movie. It was nominated for Best Picture, well-directed, well-acted, but just kind of forgotten. And this is kind of one of those movies. Like mm-hmm. it's 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 still a really good movie. This is an A movie that's kind of forgotten because it didn't win the best picture, and we're 
you know, now now 30 years out or whatever, 35 years out. And so let me throw this little tidbit out. And I know we're running a little long here, but we have a lot of international listeners. We do. We have a lot of international listeners. And you might not be terribly familiar with the Amish and the Puritans and all that type of stuff. But you probably have a very similar society within your country or region that is overtly conservative, mm-hmm. isolates themselves. Uh, uh, you know, not progressive There's with technology. There's still Mayans all around. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I'm not. Yeah, and I'm not trying to make a comparison there, but you know, they're. So if you're not familiar, if you're one of our international listeners and you have no idea what we've been talking about about the Amish, just think of the 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 society or village that is just kind of they're self sufficient. Mm-hmm. Um, they super want to conservative. be left alone. Yeah, yeah. Super Isolated. And you leave them alone because they're they're good people. Right. They're doing their mind. They're doing business. their thing. That's right. And 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 you probably have societies like that around the whole world. I think that's probably right. Yeah. I think that's probably right. So, anyway, if you uh, you know if you see a boy, you want to protect a boy that witnesses a murder, do it. I recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> think about the children, folks. Think about the children. Hey, you know what? We just talked for over an hour about a movie who one of the top stars was a kid, and I didn't complain. Once uh, no, about that's amazing. How movie. did that even happen? How did that you happen? Know, yeah. Miracles happen. Miracles yeah. happen on Is That Movie Still it, it Good? It can happen. It can happen. All right, so thanks for listening. I uh, hope you guys have enjoyed this. We went a little bit long late, but it's, it's a fun one. This was a great movie. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Uh, if you have seen it, see it again. Wait, wait. Um, I'm going to go to Dairy Queen and enjoy their salad get a bar. salad bar? Yeah. <laughs> get salad bar. You know what I'm not going to get? Thousand Island. Sick <laughs> not, out. Not, not a Dairy Queen. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, th- thanks for listening. Check us out on all the platforms. We're going to be coming back soon with some more fun stuff. Um, spring is right around the corner, so um, you know we're going to have something maybe with some, some horse racing or some baseball or something involved. And Otherwise, you know, we'll just keep doing what we do. You guys keep doing what you do. Amish people in your buggies, be careful out there on the roads, man. It's dangerous. Use take, your turn signals. Take, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time on Is That Movie Still Good? As I walk through the valley where I harvest my grain, I take a look at my wife and realize she's very plain. But that's just perfect for an Amish.